Welcome to the second episode of Demol Belkia Season 10 Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Hampson and joining me as always for my 400th episode is the Canadian who often struggles to grab the ring when he's a metre away, Logan Sons. Good evening. Good evening, that one was a special request from good friend of the podcast, David Bindley. <laughs> he made me promise I had to do a ring-related uh, intro for you this week when we chatted about it earlier. Yeah, I'm the ring boy. It's like the ring girl at an MMA event, but instead it's ring boy like an Invicta event. Have you had a busy week? Busy? Um, I can't remember. Has it already been a week since the fiasco with the immigration office? This time last week, I would have been probably trapped in Magic Kingdom by a parade. Oh, that was your last day in Florida? Yeah, it was literally my last day in Florida. I recorded the podcast and then went to the parks and then went home. So the, there was a was it like the like a New Orleans Mardi Gras parade where you just couldn't cross the street? Yeah, very similar to that. They've they've just reintroduced all the parades at Disney. So I accidentally went the wrong side of the pavement and got trapped when I was trying to get to another ride. At least you weren't a pizza delivery person trying to deliver pizza in thirty minutes or less. <laughs> very true. I did have to kind of stand there listening to the. Uh, to the Festival of Fantasy Music for a good 20 minutes or so, I'd say, because I was trapped by the crowd. If only you had one of those pirate swords from this episode and just slice your way through the crowd to get to the other side. It would have been very, very helpful. And uh, since we last spoke, of course, it has been my birthday as well. That was last Thursday. Didn't really do much of that because I was still a little bit jet-lagged. And now I'm back at work. Yeah, Florida was your birthday. Yeah, Florida was kind of my birthday celebration without anyone else being there. And then we went out for uh, for dinner on Thursday. Yeah, you went to a pub? We did. Might very well have been the pub that you went to with us. Oh, yeah, the one that's uh, about 20 minutes away from your house? Yeah, about 20 minutes away from our old house, yeah. Probably my favourite pub in the area. Yeah, that's the down, like the one that's uh, in the downtown area with the, that's connected to a lot of different restaurants and stuff. Ah, no, it was, a di- it was a different one to that. Oh, is it the one with the rolling hills nearby? Yes, yeah, that's that one. one. Yes, yep, yep, I know which one. <laughs> All the pubs that we took you to in 2016 just kind of roll together. <laughs> that was another thing I was thinking about a couple of days ago, because uh, Gian was asking me about different countries I've been to in Europe, and then I was referencing stuff, especially now that the mole is there and again. I was thinking, wow, the, the first initial Europe trip overseas was, was over five years ago now. Yeah, it was uh, Christmas 2016. Yeah, that I was initially, when I initially landed there, yeah. Yeah, because mum and dad picked you up from Gatwick, was it, or Heathrow, one of the two? Yes, we were talking about the, that's what we were talking about, the different airports around London. <laughs> you flew into Gatwick, mum and dad took you home, then we went to um, to Amsterdam on the uh, on the ferry, or York and then Amsterdam. And then uh, you went off on your, your merry way. Yeah, we also went and hit up Liverpool the one day too. And, uh, oh, I know why it also came up, because WestJet, that's one of the two major airlines in Canada. There's Air Canada, and their, their biggest competition is WestJet. WestJet is, uh, just started up a route from Calgary to Heathrow, which they've never done before. They always, they, um, they always did just to Gatwick. Yeah, WestJet are really trying to expand in the UK. Yeah, I think in Western Europe in general, they're trying to make a big push for it, especially when they know two years plus after the pandemic that this summer, so many people in Canada want to try and get to Europe. 
And essentially, this episode was a gigantic waste of time, but it was a delightful waste of time. I was not expecting the mole version of the Thai Destinies twist from Survivor South Africa. It was perfectly imported. I don't know how else you could alter it uh, from Survivor South Africa. Well, it was invented on uh, on Colanta, the French version, but uh, I had that argument when South Africa was airing last year. This is why it's a bugbear. But yeah, Colanta's uh, Thai Destinies twist has been copied over, literally just copied and pasted into this season. The only thing it was missing was someone winning winning an exemption and saving them and the partner. I guess the exemption for this episode is if your if your partner is the mole. That's that's really the exemption here. And on the surface of it, obviously, I despise double elimination episodes generally. Obviously, not a huge fan of the idea of people's fate being in other people's hands on the mole. But the problem is that Belkia is just so damn charming, and they kind of get away with it as they do with all of my hate twists. I would say, I know we're going to probably discuss this a bit more throughout the episode, but what balanced it out from not being as a super controversial twist is the fact that production made sure that everyone had the chance to switch out their partners if they wanted to, and no one took that opportunity, so there was a chance to save yourself. It wasn't just, oh, you're stuck with your partner, that's it, there's nothing you can do about it. They were given that get out of jail free card and potentially be put in a partnership with the mole and no one took that so when the double execution happens the pair really have nobody to blame but themselves yeah and i think it also helps that it is tune and yen to go in the end because neither of those people were inherently suspicious both of them were very obviously candidates yes i think they were at the either bottom two or bottom three of everyone's suspect lists probably online. I can actually answer that question because, as I said to you before we started recording, seven people on First Suspicions put um, put Tunand, Germany, Jens as their bottom two, myself included. You were one away because um, you had eighth and tenth. And I think the highest position either of them got to was someone put one of them second? Neither of them really made too much of an impact in terms of first suspicions. Yeah, it could have been, we could have had two big suspects going home here, but nope, instead we're stuck with eight people who are generally suspicious for the most part. Yeah, and the other fun thing from our point of view is the fact that in the same way that we were thinking maybe this is going to just be the South Africa to Germany's Argentina, you have a complete flip from the last double execution that we had where two of our main suspects went home in Kevin and Dammy. That's right. I, for- I forgot about the, the chair twist. <laughs> the exploding chair twist. It was very entertaining from our point of view that time because my number one suspect from week one went home and I think you had Dammy in number three? Yeah, she was pretty high up on my list. So we both ended up losing someone in our pool team that season and massive suspects in that season. And this season, we both end up losing some money in each of our pool teams, and absolutely zero suspicion for either of the two people who went. Yeah. Both of us ruled them out at the end of the premiere, and I'm thinking, hmm, it's going to take a bit more sleuthing to figure out who the mole is this year. (laughs) Not impressed. (laughs) The one thing in the back of my mind was, was something you said last week when I was editing it, because you said that at some point, if Jens lasts long enough, he will be inherently suspicious because 
he has to have done something to get himself there. So I'm very glad that he went home so quickly, so I don't even have to care about that anymore. He combined for three episodes, which is only a third of the way through most seasons of The Mole. Yeah, the, the the highest score at the moment on First Suspicions is 48 points. The lowest is 36, obviously, if you put them both in the bottom two spots. And um, that was someone who had one of them in third, one of them in fourth, I think. Toon in third, Jens in fourth. Interesting. Absolutely nobody had either of them as their first suspicion. The teenagers in the Mole Belhia never make it that far into the season. Because I was thinking we lost Booba very quickly. And lost Noah quite quickly. And we also lost Toon here within the first couple episodes. So previously, 10 new people flew to Lanzarote for a 10-season fiesta, but were surprised by the return of last season's left-behind Jens sitting in a cow paint bomb. Two old moles returned to interrogate the liars in a group while the prickle bars tried to double the money they were protecting. The shock reveal of Jens's cookie clock containing an exemption for the last year saw the group play for themselves in a game of Floor is Lava before Gretel was the first person executed. And we open the episode in a very confusing manner, with everyone meeting a dating coach three weeks before they departed, and describing their perfect partner, except Nayla, who can't get the Zoom to work. Nayla acts like the the aunt who doesn't use the internet often at home, or waits for her nieces and nephews to visit her and show her things to do on a computer. My absolute favourite thing about this is the fact that they had no reason to include those scenes at all, apart from the fact that it was hilarious and they just wanted to tease Naylor a little bit. They had no reason to include any of that. The fact that they wait until after everyone else's interviews are done and then she says, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready for this now. And I'm thinking, how did they get that footage? Did did she have the camera recording the whole time while, like, did she have a camera separate from the computer recording herself? Because the computer wasn't working, so how can the com- computer record her during this whole fumble? I presume so, but also there was the weirdness of Jens meeting the dating coach, and him, as it's established last week, having no idea that he was coming. So if he's having an interview with the dating coach, I don't know how they convinced him of that. Yeah, because he's with somebody. Like, they had no reason. They would have had to say, this is something to do with the mole, but I don't know what lie they told Jens to get him to actually be on camera for this. Oh, that's got a... That's a question we need to ask Jill. Yeah. Like, if he'd survived this episode, he probably would have been in my top suspects, purely because of that. And there obviously being more that we didn't see on that topic. Unless they pulled a Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith and Jens and his fiance were separated? They're engaged, right? I don't know. I meant to actually look up the relationship status of Jens. Because I called her his wife last week. And then people on the Discord were calling her his girlfriend. And I said fiance. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember. I genuinely cannot remember what their relationship status is. Maybe production had Jens meet with the dating coach right before the Germany season? That would be a hell of a long con, wouldn't it? Well, look at the cuckoo clock. Although, having said that, it wasn't necessarily that dating coach that he met. They could have easily edited her in saying things. Putting my tinfoil hat on. 
Yeah, or just have it not be to do with the mole. But then why would he be with a dating coach if he's with somebody? I don't know. We need to ask Jill this. Yeah. Write it down. I need to ask Jill in six weeks' time. Well, I mean, after two seasons, we now learn that Jens is a person who is easy to fool by production. Yeah, I just, I'm genuinely intrigued as to what lie they told Jens to get him to come on that Zoom. I mean, he was first boot in his first season, he's second boot in his second season. They hid an exemption in the cuckoo clock for over a year that he didn't know about. And he didn't even know he was playing the mole for a second time after being flown out to an island off the coast of West Africa that he wasn't planning to visit, completely rerouting this flight from Belgium to Germany because of that too. I think production just likes tricking Jens as much as possible. The best payoff of that was when him and Toon were leaving at the end. Gilles did turn around and go, oh, just so you're aware, there is no third chance here. You have had your shot on the ball now. Just because you've only been in three episodes total, this does count as two seasons. And then to rub salt in the wounds while they're riding the taxi, I think it was Jens who says, I don't understand. And I'm thinking that perfectly sums up Jens's entire journey on the mall. I said it last week, and I'll say it again now. I'm so glad that he was not the mole, purely because not only does it reset Belkia Law and say you can't go home properly without a red screen as he did this time, but also, if he was the mole, it would have ruined a lot of the fun payoff last week of the exemption being hidden in the cooker clock and him not knowing he was on the mole and him not knowing he was in a paint-bomb-filled car. That would have all been negated had he had the reveal at the end of, oh yeah, by the way, my wife, girlfriend, fiance knew since September, but I knew since May. That would have been less of a fun payoff, I think, for me. Yeah, I thought I thought the maximum payoff would be him going home first again, but him going home through this twist, I think, is is somewhat better. So the opening quote of the episode is from season four's Isabel, and we are very familiar with this quote because it's. I believe it comes from from my favourite challenge of the season, which is, what a way to go home, that's twice as hard. And I think that that was in relation to the Ruth Carbon game. I think that's when uh, when Isa said it. When the paint bomb goes off, I think we hear Isabel say, what a way to go home, that's twice as hard. Well, she didn't get shown that much, right? It would be either then or during the, the chain game. I'm pretty confident that it was in the Carbon game, or post-Carbon game, that she said that at the opening of episode two. And we get some really personal questions from the dating coach. We find out Bert is polyamorous. Yeah. We find out that Bert's polyamorous, but his wife might not be, I think it was. (laughs) Which wife? (laughs) There's a lot of discussion over sexual compatibility. And I did actually have to double check that I wasn't watching an episode of Married at First Sight. Because that's the sort of question you see on Married at First Sight which shamefully I've become incredibly obsessed with over the past year. It's absolute trash, but it is very entertaining. One thing to point out from the questions is that the dating coach Micah, Mika, I can't remember, it's spelled M-I-E-K-E, Maika. She asks, how important is sexual loyalty to you? And then Philip says, very important. And who does he get paired up with? Gets paired up with Uma, based on that question. So then it leads to so many more questions. No, it's Anka. Oh, pardon me. I was looking at a wrong part of my... Yeah, it is Anka. Pardon me. Yes. A lot of partnerships this episode. (laughs) I must admit, 
I have found it very difficult to tell Uma and Anchor apart if I'm not careful. Yes, I did have to come up. I did the same mix-up mix up too. I noticed Uma's hair cuts off just above her shoulders, and then Anka usually has her hair in some sort of bun. Yeah, there's always a pair of contestants that I end up mixing up in my notes and having to go back and double-check that I'm right on it. And this season it is Anka and Uma. And then I had to figure out a way to tell Sven, Jens with a Y, and Philippe apart this episode. Well, Jens with a Y always has ridiculous hair. Yes, I noticed He that. always looks like he's been electrocuted. Yep, he gets very uh, expressive at times. And then Philippe has really, really short, almost receding hair. And then Jens is a bit, uh, like, it's a bit scruffier, like, combed over. Sven, you mean? Sven, yes, Sven. <laughs> Sven Sven's is combed over like uh, almost like Charlie Chaplin. And then Jens is, is very expressive, almost looks bug-eyed at times, and then Philippe's hair is receding. So by the end of the episode, I'm thinking, okay, I know what everyone looks like. I find it tougher because it's when it's shows in a foreign language, you can't tell based on the sound of somebody's voice or their speech because everybody sounds the same when it's a language that you don't speak. So then you got to really pay attention to the physical appearances of everybody. So it is day four in Puerto del Carmen. Naila is still suffering from falling on the lava field and physical therapist Philippe is helping her. What's funny is that the lava would be a hot spot, which is what Naila had a tough time connecting to <laughs> before the start of this episode. Well, she did take a rather large tumble. We didn't really cover this last week, but it was slightly wince-inducing how, how heavily she fell. That would have really screwed up the twist if she had to be medically evacuated. Well, they would have. They would have found a way to get around it. They would have only done a single elimination, wouldn't they? This, this, yeah, this round they would have, and then maybe do tied destinies uh, the following round, or, or keep her elimination. Oh, yeah, they wouldn't need to anymore. That's true too. And Philippe does the. It's like the homeless guy with a sign saying "Will massage for Passfragen." And Uma finds the address of the next assignment on the wine bottles by the pool, which is the region of Lacheria. It's the wine region of Lanterasi, where people grow their grapes in pits of lava pebbles. Today, a food blogger is coming to taste their food, and they have to provide top-notch food. Jill is looking for two cooks, two coordinators, and six waiters. It's Emanuela and Naila who are the cooks, Anchor and Yen to the Y are the coordinators, and Bart, Sven, Germany Yens, Philippe, Toon, and Uma are the waiters. Their guest is the chef of two restaurants on the island and a prominent food blogger. If the food's up to scratch, they will earn the cash that it is worth. They can earn 500 euros for the starter, 1,000 for the main, and 1,500 for the dessert. The cooks have a fully equipped field kitchen and the three recipes, and they have 30 minutes to provide the first of the three courses. Where would you want to place yourself generally? If I was the mole or if I was the contestant? If you were Logan Saunders on this season. Um, I think running around in the in those pits would have been really fun. Yeah, unless you become a Germany Jens and manage to essentially tear gash yourself using lava. <laughs> coordinator, I think would have. Would, I think being the coordinator would kind of suck for this challenge. Yeah, I think that's the least fun of the options is the coordinator. I think probably being a waiter is the most fun, but only because it is also the the one with the hilarious requirement. Yeah, ducking before the photo gets taken. <laughs> so the starter is Hofio Escadado, a dip with pieces of onion that is served all over the Canary Islands. They don't have any ingredients yet. Those are spread out over 40 pits and one camel's bag. 
and it's up to the six waiters to find the ingredients and bring them to the kitchen. However, there is a camera set up to take pictures every 20 seconds to do a time lapse. If a waiter is caught in the photo, they must sit out, and once two people are caught, they will swap places with the cooks. The coordinators are in charge of letting the waiters know what they're looking for, but they can't hear what the cooks are saying, so the cooks have to mime what they want. This is such a layered challenge. You've got a cooking challenge combined with charades, combined with something almost like a laser game, combined with a camel. We do like to talk about the music on this podcast, and I am led to believe that the soundtrack to introduce this challenge was the soundtrack of the video game series Overcooked. No way. As a little wink-wink nudge-nudge, I believe there is some Overcooked music at the start of this challenge. (laughs) Awesome. At least that's what I'm reliably informed. Uh, So Bert decided to divide the six rows amongst the six waiters, which is probably the correct tactic. Emmanuel and Naylor decide to act out the ingredients of the main course. And if the waiters bring an incorrect ingredient, they must sit out. Sven brings garlic, which is correct for the starter. Toon brings white wine, which is also correct, but for the main dish, which is carne con papas. They have no idea what hofio is. It is a corn flour. And I must also point out, thanks to friend of the podcast, David Bindley, that Uma actually uh, says in the original What Have You Got that she has corn flour in her pit. So she's actually the first person to find the corn flour, but it's before... Anyone realises that they need it. Yeah, before it's, oh, it's got hofio. Sven half-heartedly runs to a pit containing carrots and is caught. Toon drops an onion, and they also get fish bouillon. Bert doesn't even try to dive and walks in front of the camera, sending him and Sven (laughs) to replace the cooks. Hilarious from Bert. And they get one minute to brief the men before their role in the challenge is over. He He just walked. He forgot what the challenge was. He completely forgot about the time lapse. He's probably thinking, wasn't I just sprinting a minute ago? Why am I just casually strolling into the pit? This seems too easy. But eliminated. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking, would a mole do that? Would the mole just pretend not to know the rules of the challenge and just think, oh, whoopsie daisy. It was very blatant if he's the mole. Germany ends, tries to bring the carrots over, and ends up eating one of them on the way to deliver. (laughs) He really wants to improve his eyesight. He really needs that better carotene. Yep. Toon is caught with the hofio. Bert and Sven completely miss their three items that are on the chopping board. They spot them with less than five minutes to go, which isn't terrible as long as they get the hofio and bouillon correct. The dish must still be delivered around the time-lapse photos. Uma, given that she has waiting experience, delivers it with ten seconds to go. The chef says the taste is good, but the dish is not, so they don't earn 500 euros. I like how Toon dropped the F-bomb, and I'm thinking, is he still young enough to where he can have soap put in his mouth? He looks young enough that he should have soap put in his mouth for that. Yeah, now the producers put him in timeout. They just say in an earpiece to him, Toon, Toon, apologise. Apologise to the Belgian public, apologise to the international public who are watching this. Yeah, You should be disappointed in yourself. Sit down in this chair and think about what you've said, young mister. No more Family Guy or South Park for you. They need eggs for the main course, and Philip delivers them, but the wind knocks the bag off, and the kitchen only gets two eggs instead of twelve. The cooks decide to ignore the dessert for now, even though it is worth €1,500. Thanks to their wonderful, wonderful charades, Anker and Jens think that potatoes are mincemeat, eliminating German Jens and sending him in tune to the kitchen. 
this was probably the most suspicious thing from the coordinators this challenge is just giving germany yens the wrong ingredient yeah because it's the only time it actually happens it's just like a, a sabotage that slips in there it's not as blatant as sven taking his time into the pit or bert forgetting what challenge he was doing i must admit it is probably a little bit more suspicious to me that Bert and Sven complete the mystery of their items on that chopping board. They are both in my top three this week as a result of their very, very suspicious actions during the entire episode, to be fair. But this one especially, like, they weren't paying attention at all. And I suspect one of them wasn't paying attention and one of them was making sure the other one wasn't paying attention. Because the mole's best position, I would say, is either being Uma the Expediter or getting themselves to the kitchen. And as someone suggested on the Discord, just sprinkling lava dust in it, making it disgusting. Yeah, and spitting it. It's the same argument we had with the uh, the Vietnam cha-cha challenge, where as long as the mole just gets themselves to the cooking station, they can do whatever they want they've won. So Germany ends, has trouble with the lava dust in his eyes. Him and Toon decide to just do the exact opposite of what they were told, invest as much time as possible on the dessert, and send the main course without the main ingredient of potatoes, potatoes. It's carne sin papas. And I think my MVP of the episode has to be the the chef who had to taste all this disgusting food. Bless him. Because the first course didn't look too bad, considering. The second course looks horrid. The third course looks even worse. It escalated, where he's like, eh, this is edible. Mm, I don't know, and oh god, dear god, this is worse than drinking the same potion that Dumbledore did in the sixth Harry Potter book. Please make it stop for the love of dear Christ. He came into this episode expecting MasterChef level food, and instead he got Hell's Kitchen level food. At least John Perez didn't say he's nobody's bitch. I wonder if after the challenge he says, oh, this food was horrible, but at least I have my time lapse, and then he reviews the footage. Oh, shit, they ruined that too. My whole day ruined. Screw you, Belgium. He says the meat is not good. It is very, very raw. There are no potatoes, so they get no money. There's got to be somebody nearby who has to jump in and say, do not eat this. You will get very, very ill, especially when it's raw meat. Yeah, I think he took one look at the meat and went, I'm not eating that meat. Because I think it is quite cultural in the Canary Islands, if I'm not mistaken, and in Spain generally, for the meat to be at least cooked. Usually well done. I think I think traditionally it is more on the well done side for, for meat in uh, in Spain. And he took one look at that meat, and you even saw it when you cut it open. It, it wasn't cooked. There was absolutely no heat that had been applied to that meat. You're, you're asking for food poisoning. That would be, it would be the food, the food blogger would become the food poisoning blogger. So Clumsy Philippe drops a load of almonds on the way to the uh, to the chopping board. Numa sent to meet the camel as they mistake the word cinnamon for camel. She decides to just bring it to the kitchen, even despite the time-lapse camera. And my favourite thing about this is you actually do at one point see a crew member have to step in and hold the camel while she dives into a pit. <laughs> you know what would have made it ten times better is if the camel also hides in the pit. You've seen Camel's Pit, but now you get to see Camel Pit. And the camel just has a really panicked look on its face, like, oh, is my hump sticking out? Did the hump get in the time lapse? 
And what they don't realise is that the camel has a bag on it with the dessert wine that they will need for the dessert. And they get all the ingredients apart from the dessert wine, Toon ends up searching the camel and finds it. Numa delivers the final course of the minutes ago, but sadly for the food blogger, it's even worse than the other two. The wine was the best bit, which is a brilliant line, so they earn no money of 3000 for the pot. I love the confused reaction when Jens and Toon have the camel delivered to them, thinking, what? We, we just mimed a camel and they brought over a camel? We didn't even know the camel existed. That would be like if they mimed the golf thing for the Hofio and they brought over a set of golf clubs. I think it will surprise absolutely nobody to know that the banner for this week is coming from this challenge. Because there were some brilliant miming actions. We very nearly had Naylor sticking two fingers up at the camera at one point. <laughs> but the one that I have gone for is Sven and Bert's miming of garlic, I think it was. Where Bert just breathes on him. <laughs> and Sven just breathes it in. That was what made me laugh the most this episode, so that is our banner. There was some brilliant, brilliant miming in this challenge. So in their debrief and the car's on the way home, they say that the potatoes were the only main ingredient that they didn't find, and sadly, Sven and Bert's acting over fighting was more Will Smith at the Oscars than Will Smith in King Richard. <laughs> Jeez. Gilles meets them in the evening with some good news, that they will be getting much nicer food than the slot that they cooked in the challenge earlier. Each of them will get a one-on-one -on -one meal with their ideal partner within the group. And it's Philippe and Anka, Uma and Bert, Emmanuel and Jens with the Y, Naylor and Sven, and Toon and Germany Jens, who are the pairs. And I don't know whether you noticed, but Naylor, as a side effect of not being able to talk when she was cooking, seems to have also lost her voice generally. I wonder if it was too much of that, uh, too much of the wine from earlier. It's really fun because she doesn't have a voice basically for the rest of the episode. She's very, very hoarse all the way through the episode, and I really want to know why. Emanuela and Yenta the Y struggle to work out why they've been paired, because everyone else has, you know, brilliant uh, qualities that they share. And to be perfectly honest, the fact that the other eight all have brilliant qualities probably suggests that they were just put together as a default. Apparently Sven joked initially if good sex is important to, to Nela, so they got to bond over over that a bit more than... Over their love of good sex. Yeah, that's an unusual conversation starter. And then Gilles drops the bomb by saying that the person that they're sat with will be the person that they complete the elimination test with. They're doing tied destinies. The worst performing pair will be leaving at the end of the episode. And interestingly, only two of the pairs are actually on the same team on our pool. There was a chance that one of us could have lost two people in this uh, in this episode, but it was one pair on your team, one pair on my team, and then three pairs made up with one person from each team. Interesting. I'm glad we avoided that. So am I, because it would have been mortifying if it was my team, and hilarious if it was yours. Emanuela admits that she voted for Yen to the Y on the last test, and some pairs share their information. Toon says he ruled out Anka, Uma ruled out Philippe, and Jens ruled out Emanuela. Sven admitted that he voted for Jens from Germany. Philippe and two questions on Naylor. Bert says Philippe is working so hard that it's draining him, and that makes him more suspicious. And something else I have to point out is the fact that they are actually now calling Yen to the Y, Yen to the Y on the episode. <laughs> I predicted a nickname. Well, they're not going to have to do that anymore. No, from next week I will just be calling him Jens. And G Germany Yen says 
thank you, por favor, to the Spanish waiter. That may or may not have made my day. I knew you'd pick up on that. Thank you, please. And Manu and Jens, they have a really tough time getting any sort of conversation going. Because I think it's it's the first person who we see mention this strategy is Anka, who says, okay, whoever is paired up with the mole is exempt. Therefore, it would be really stupid to vote for each other on the quiz. Because you're just throwing your points away if you do that. There's no point voting for the mole if you're exempt anyway. You have to be going under the premise that you aren't with the mole. Therefore... You have to put your points on the quiz against the other pairs. So you say that. They are by far obviously the most interesting pair here because they do have genuine conflicts over the strategy. But from Emanuela's point of view, if she votes for Yen to the Y and she is correct on her suspicion, then they will still get through. If she votes for Yen to the Y and they don't get through, then obviously he isn't the mole. It's a go big or go home thing, as she says at the end of the episode. But if her suspicion from last week is correct, then it doesn't matter what she votes, really. So it's more of a testing the water to see if her theory is correct thing, and sacrificing him if she needs to, as well as herself. It just seems like a lose-lose strategy. Oh god, yeah, it's a terrible strategy, but (laughs) I don't necessarily begrudge her for it, because this is a completely unknown territory. And actually, from her point of view, if she's so locked in on him being the mole... It doesn't really matter what she does. She can literally throw it away if she wants to. But then her suspects from another pair could both go home, unless she's just absolutely saying it's the ends with a Y, no matter what, I'm not going to suspect anybody else for the remainder of the season. I shouldn't even be here if he ends with a Y isn't well, just execute me now rather than have me stick around for an extra round and just have me go home in another round or two. Yeah, she's just she's just going gutsy basically but it's pointless gutsy oh yeah it's it's utterly pointless but i don't begrudge her the strategy because to be fair in this situation i might have been tempted to do that as well we just came off the germany season where nobody was on to the correct person until the final round of the game you can just bluff your way through it to the end yeah i mean lenny should have encouraged conservative play this season. So I'm very glad that him not being suspected until the very final test actually hasn't stopped people like Emanuela being super competitive in this season. I'm glad that she obviously thinks the same way that I do, that maybe this season's mole's going to be a little bit more obvious than Lenny, just so they don't get into the situation of potentially someone not knowing who the mole is in the final test. Yeah, it's one way of looking at it, I guess, where it's just complete stubbornness supersedes any sort of rationale or game theory. Yeah, it's pig-headedness, and it's absolutely reckless, but it also makes very entertaining television, so I'm not complaining. <laughs> yeah, it's it was fascinating to see, because I'm thinking, when they had the chance to switch partners, I'm thinking, well, Manu and Jens should be the one partnership that sticks together if Manu thinks Jens with the Y is the mole. Because if, if she's partnered with the mole, then she should say, yes, I want to stay in this partnership, and everyone else should be voting to switch. Because if you trust your partner, and you're thinking, oh, my partner isn't the mole, wait a second, that means I'm not exempt. I have a 25% chance of going home right now. I should swap out. Manu and Jens were the only pair that should be 
they should have been the first pair to go in the ch uh, in the final challenge saying okay yep we're staying together because we both suspect each other which means we're we're safe no matter what this is what i mean like i don't like a double execution twist on the face of it i don't necessarily like tied destinies on the face of it because it can as i've said numerous times it can drag fun people out of the show but the game theory aspect of this makes it very interesting in this cast. I never want them to do it again, obviously. Because everyone, everyone's going to be prepared for it. Yeah. Yeah. This is the sort of twist that they have to do a one and done on because everyone can have an idea on it, especially if you then do exactly the same joke of the dating coach again. But it makes it very interesting to see people try and navigate this in the same way that a lot of old school reality shows we like because it's watching people try and adapt to the game. This is a very interesting twist for them to adapt to. And it works out well for production. So Manu's thinking is essentially either Jens with a Y is the mole, or I'm going to be so pissed off that he tricked me that I want him to go and taking him down with me. Just out of pure spite. It's like Seinfeld, a return the suit based off of spite. Yeah. So on day five, they wake up in Tabayesco. Some couples stay late discussing their plans. We get to see them preparing breakfast and Yen to the Y opening a mango dangerously. Production gets bored of waiting for them to notice the chest of drawers in the lounge and just springs open the top section for them at 10.20am and it contains a treasure map. I'm surprised Germany Jens didn't uh, get arrested. Why? Well, do we really believe that Toon is an adult? Ah, uh, yeah, good point. Toon just stayed up all night watching cartoons, that's all it was cartoons yes he watched a cartoon about the capital of sudan he was watching toon network it's just him his face on tv <laughs> there's me so they are sent to playa del papagayo to begin the challenge lanzarote was besieged by pirates in the 16th and 17th centuries as an important trade route between europe and the new world they find a sign telling them to separate amongst the images on the map but hurry as there are pirates on the coast Somewhere on the beach is a buried treasure worth 4,000 euros. Germany ends and Bertha are sent to meet the mermaid. Toon and Emanuela face the pirate. Sven, Philippe and Uma are sent to the musical parrots. And Jens, Anka and Nela are sent to the giant of Lanzarote. I think Pirates of the Caribbean is the most referenced film in Belgian mole history. Yeah, because it was in the rugby challenge, definitely. Yes, or at least the music soundtrack has been used almost every season. Because they, lo they love to do water challenges in every season of the mall. Yeah, and it's, it's also a very good piece of music. Yeah, no one can deny it's a solid score. No, it's a pretty shit film, but it's a, it's a good piece of music. So Toon and Emanuela find out that their task is a crossword puzzle. When they solve the piracy-themed puzzle, they can unlock a chest containing shovels and a compass. However, every ten minutes, a pirate will duel them on a balance beam. If the pirate wins... He will raise a flag by one level, and losing three times will end the challenge. The other three teams will find the location of the treasure. By putting the instructions in order, they will know the location. Germany ends and Bert must follow a mermaid through the ocean to find their location. In an underwater cave, six metres below the sea, are two rings containing two pieces of the location. Sven, Philippe and Uma are in charge of another piece. They play a musical quiz with parrots, matching the names of the parrots to names taken out of five songs to the correct artist. The first one's Bon Jovi's Living on a Prayer with the name Gina missing. They're right. I think pretty much every song here, apart from the Tame Impala one, I would have known even without hearing the music. Tame Impala one would have been the one I got by default, I think. 
yeah, I think it would have been the same for me. And I knew they were going to get the weedest one, the weedest teenage dirtbag one, because for some reason in Europe, they really, really love weedus. Europe and Australia. I think we've mentioned this before. They they love teenage dirtbag in Europe. Because it took a while for it to be a big hit in, in the States and Canada. I don't know. There's just something about it. We had to wait until Jason Biggs was in the music video for it. And then... And then it was a big hit. Naylor, Anka, and Jens with a Y must find the giant of Lanzarote and work out its height, given only a stepladder and a tape measure. They get five chances to open the box and waste one immediately, measuring the ladder, just in case that is the giant of Lanzarote. And it wasn't 420. Two nests if Emanuela ever had a pirate phase. She said she didn't, but she had a Barbie phase and a princess phase. And if they fill in all the answers, the red middle letters will spell out a question and the answer to that question opens the box. It's too bad that Barbie girl didn't pop up during the parrot thing, where it just, where, and everyone would just be stumped by it. What, what, comes, what comes before the word girl in, in that Aqua song? It's a Noel girl, right? I'm a Noel girl in a Sally world, wrapped in plastic. It's fantastic. <laughs> Which group would you reckon you'd want to be in as the mall? As the mall? I guess the diving one, since it's, it'd be really easy to pass off a sabotage in that one. I think there's two schools of thought. Either the diving one, because it obviously takes the longest of anything, assuming you're small like Jens's, or you want to be on a task that you can complete quickly, like the music one, and then make sure you screw up on the pirate fight. Because the pirate fight is the most important bit, I would argue. Yeah, because for the the crossword team got they got two they did two of the attempts at it right. Yeah, it was uh, Emanuelo then Toon, and then it was Uma and then Sven, and that was it. And talking of fighting the pirate, Emanuela goes to fight him, and she falls off just before he does. So the flag gets raised by one. The second song is Oasis's "Don't Look Back in Anger," which is missing the word Sally, and Uma knows it immediately. Naylor spots an underground engraving, which is the giant of Lanzarote. Yens of the Y plays a lot of Yahtzee, so he says he's good at maths. If they measure all the points on the ground and round the result to the tenth of a metre, they will get the right number. Yens and Bert spot the two rings and realise it's easier to see from the other side. However, they are still a metre short of grabbing the ring, which is a problem we all have. When Philippe tries to put Tame Impala on Wendy's board, she bites back. They then get their clue that the second step is 12 metres to the north. Toon and Emanuela decipher their question, which is what animal is painted on the rock above them. They guess dog, but it is too short. Toon has to go fight the pirate and wins by hitting the pirate's legs. I wonder if you can just not be in contact with the pirate and just trash talk him from the other side of the beam, like say, oh, did you know you were adopted? Or... I got a call from your doctor, and you have the most herpes he has ever seen. Or, or, or better yet, say, oh, you don't want to attack me, I have HIV. Interestingly as well, Lion was the answer to another clue in a very similar challenge in South Africa. Because in the, uh, the Safari Park escape room challenge, Lion was the answer to their word search. Manu is so suspicious this episode, because she also screws up here with the El Leon is on the cave mm. and she cannot figure out that means lion even if i didn't know spanish i think I, that would be my first guess yeah and also as we said in the south africa podcast there actually aren't that many famous animals 
i.e. animals that they're actually going to be able to get straight off the top of their heads, that are five letters long in Dutch. That is a very limited list. Yeah, because we had this whole discussion. Yeah, as soon as you know it's an animal, you can pretty much guess that it's going to be one of a handful of animals, at least in terms of the big animals that they are actually going to paint on a rock. Yeah, and the lion is designed the same way like Rafiki did in The Lion King with the way he uh, drew the lion. So they open the chest by correctly identifying lion and earn their shovels in the compass, and they also get step two of the instructions from the musical parrots team. The giant team guessed 491, 490, and 489, leaving them with just one guess left. Germany ends touches a ring, but can't grab it and has to come back up for air. Uma goes to fight the pirates, and she's quite violent with him. She really, like, heftily swings that sword, but loses, giving them one chance left. She was too aggressive. She should have just thrown, been like a, just throw sand in his eyes uh, right before the start of the duel. Just grab a handful of sand, and then say, okay, begin, and then just throw the sand in the pirate's eyes. If he's still able to balance, then, I don't know, just lightly knee him in the groin, and then that'll finish him. The last giant guess is 524, and they're correct, earning step three, which is eight metres to the west. Yen grabs the first ring, giving them step one. He does, however, want the second ring too, which tells him how deep to dig. And he decides to leave it in the end, because he just can't get that deep. And they return to the beach as Sven is fighting the pirate. If he loses, they will lose the challenge. And Sven falls without even hitting the pirate, giving them a total of nothing of 4,000 euros for the challenge. And in my favourite moment of the entire episode... They gloat further by having the pirate dig it up and walk off with it on his shoulder. <laughs> I be plundering. It's such a dick move. Like, no other version would ever get away with that. <laughs> what would be great is when he walks off, there's a lineup of all the mermaids that swim in the water, and he just offers the treasure to one of the mermaids, and then they go off together behind one of the, uh, one of the caves. I be prostituting. So following the challenge, they are annoyed that they lost again. Not all the losses can be due to the mole, surely. And they decide to listen a lot more at the challenges. And everyone goes swimming, and Toon doesn't have any spare underwear with him. I was also thinking the reason why they performed so poorly in that challenge is because I think everybody is so scared about the Tide Destiny's twist that everyone wants to look suspicious and just just do whatever they can to survive this double execution and then work a lot harder to earn money starting with the next episode. Yeah. As soon as you get told that there is a double execution, everything changes. It becomes self-preservation. I mean, Uma was super aggressive on the balance beam. Uh, Sven did nothing on the balance beam. He just waited until he stepped off a bit. <laughs> he didn't even try to draw the pirate into some sort of sudden movement. I think the ideal strategy is if you're going to be passive, wait for the pirate to come to you and then suddenly go really low and then the pirate might lunge after you and then lose his balance in the process. Yeah. So, before the execution, Gilles gives everyone the chance to partner swap, like they're on a season of Barrett at first sight. Each pair will decide individually if they want to stay with their partner or swap, if everyone stays together, they will earn 2,000 euros for the pot. Jens and Toon are first. They decide to stay. Even with Toon being commando. Even with Toon being commando, they do decide to stay. As do Sven and Nayla, Bert and Uma, and Philippe and Anka. And it is all scored to an instrumental version of the Black Eyed Peas most famous song, Where Is The Love? Sadly, not including Justin Timberlake. Emmanuel and Jens are the final pair. They're the only ones who weren't happy when they were paired. 
Emanuela says she's playing selfishly, but they decide to stay together, earning the group 2,000 euros for the challenge, 2,000 euros of 9,000 for the episode, and 6,000 euros of 26,600 for the season so far. Yeah, the mole took it easy this challenge. Speaking of which, would, it, would you consider it controversial if the mole had switched? It's too obvious this early in the season. Yeah, like the obvious play is if you know no one else is going to switch, then stick with the status quo. But if you're the mole and you decide to switch, you're directly influencing who goes home in the episode. Yeah, I think I think the big question mark is we don't know the mechanism for swapping. We don't know what would have happened if only one pair requested to switch. Whether they would have redrawn everyone, or whether it would have been them picking their partners... We just don't know. That's the problem. Yeah, I wish they would have said what the mechanism was going to be, but if they're if they're going to do a similar challenge in a future season, I suppose Papa Bear wants to hold the, uh, his cards close to his chest. Yeah, I think regardless, the mole would never have swapped because that is the mole directly influencing the season, which is something that moles never do unless they're bad ones. If the mole is given the chance to directly choose who gets executed and not, then it's a little bit shitty, I think. So I I would argue the mole was never going to switch, no matter what happened. Yeah, I would assume, unless they're really playing into whatever character they are cultivating on the season, but otherwise, yeah. To avoid any controversy, if I was the mole, I wouldn't switch either. So it's now time for the test. 20 questions on the identity and actions of the mole, the pair who know least go home, except for the mole who can never go home, and in this round, their partner. They can talk during the test. Gio reminds us that in the event of a tie... The slowest pair will be going home. Which Menu takes full advantage of to troll Jens with a Y as much as possible. What do you think the best tactic as a candidate would be in this test twist? This is a tough one. I I suppose you would spread, but how far do you spread when you know that you have a one in four shot of going home? Because that's the premise you're playing under. It's one in four. It's not a one in eight quiz. You have to pretend like you're in the final five of the game. Yeah, I think the best tactic is actually ironically probably the one that we hear Tuna and Germany Jens talk about, which is spreading on as many answers as possible. Because that assumes that everyone else, or at least one other pair, is going to get zero. I think you go through it as quickly as possible, just in case it's a, a tie. And I think between you, you try and go on as many suspects as possible and spread it out. Because you're guaranteed to score points then. Yeah, I was very surprised that Tune and Germany Jens go home because I was thinking the same thing of, hmm, that's probably the strategy I would use too. Just play it safe and hopefully another pair was reckless or another pair was dumb enough to vote against each other. Yeah, ironically, <laughs> given what I said about Emanuela and Jens with the Y, I think in a twist like this, you don't play it recklessly. You absolutely play it as conservatively as you can just to try and get through this round. So I guess the question becomes, how much do you spread on this quiz? And clearly the answer to that is, don't spread as much as Toon and Germany Jens did. <laughs> now, Philippe and Anka's tactic is interesting, because they answered questions based on the largest group, and then used their personal feelings for direct questions. So I think if you merge those two tactics, you probably get the best one, where you go, ironically, like I do on the Vidim Suspect list when we get the bonus questions, if you don't know, you go for the biggest group because you're most likely to get a point from that. You play the odds on the bigger clusters, and then, yeah, then you use your intuition on the other ones, even though that's not statistically 
the best tactic. It's a mix of mathematics and personal emotional feeling. <laughs> I was surprised they did the execute the quiz together. I was very surprised that they just sat across from each other, discussed what answers they were doing. And then I think a very underrated highlight of the episode is Yen's with the Y finishing, and he just has to sit there and glare. I mean glare at Manuela as she is very slowly completing the quiz. Because I've hosted a family mole game before. It was like when my dad would take the quiz during the mole game. You're just sitting there thinking, okay, everyone else is going to beat you on the, if it's a tie, you got to hustle a bit faster. I think it's a very interesting challenge for the mole, this, because they have to directly act whilst in someone else's eye line. That's true, too. The mole is very much under a microscope by one person. It's a fun challenge for the mole, this. Do you think Emmanuel was just completely trolling Jens with a Y by taking as long as she possibly could? 100% Emmanuela was trolling him. You could tell that she was just teasing him. And then he asks her, oh, you stuck, well, I know you took forever on that quiz, but at least, at least did you do this, did you stick to the basic strategy of not voting against me? She doesn't say yes or no, she just says, I stuck with what I thought was the right thing to do. <laughs> Don't get on Emanuela's bad side. That's what I learned this episode. I believe her exact words, uh, in Eng she said this in English, was, go hard or go home. <laughs> So Gilles haunts them for being terrible cooks and treasure hunters, but says that there is still a lot of love in the group. Anka and Philippe, Naylor and Sven, and Manu and Jens all get green screens, before Germany, Jens and Toon get the red one and are sent home. Which makes last week even funnier. I want to know the collective shock everyone had when the third pair to be typed in was Manuel and Jens. Everyone had to be thinking, they're getting a red screen, they're getting a red screen, there's no way they're going to work well together. Two of the other four pairs are already safe. And then, bam, they're safe. And then I'm sure Germany Jens in that moment was thinking, oh god, how am I, I made it twice as far as I did last season. Jens with a Y says that most of the money they brought in was due to Germany Jens. Sven says Toom was just a puppy, he threw himself into every challenge. And Jens has now finally seen a red screen, meaning that there will be no third season. Instead of a diary of the mole, the end of the episode is a briefing of the mole. Today and yesterday went great. I know a lot of people suspect me now, to which they are told by a producer that not a lot of people do. And then the mole reacts, then I'm doing really well. That's important to know. Give me a while. It's only today, I think. Next time, dune buggies, boats, underwater statues, diving, cinemas, green flags, inviting people on adventures, and Naylor asks for forgiveness. And one other funny thing that... that... Jill DaCosta did at the end is that he joked about Toon's cinnamon stick. He had to bug Germany Jens about going home early for a second time and saying, no, there, there will be no third season Jens, I'm sorry. And then telling Toon, so, yeah, things sort of went downhill starting with that cinnamon, cinnamon stick, hey? He's such a delightful troll. And then somebody brought up a good point, I think it was Jens with a Y who said... This isn't good. Germany Jens was the only one who was truly bringing in money for the pot. We're kind of screwed now. Toon and Germany Jens were the two biggest players for the group, and now they're both gone. And now it's a lot of people who love to troll and love to really mess with each other. Yep, which should be fun. So in our pool, 
It has now been drawn as I won last season's pool. I got first draft and we alternated based on our first suspicions until all 10 people were in a team. I chose Sven, Logan chose Anchor, and then Bert, Philippe, Jens with a Y, Emmanuel and Naylor, Uma, Germany, Jens and Toon were drafted in order. Interestingly, if you had first draft, Jens with a Y, Uma, Germany, Jens and Toon would have all swapped teams. And last year, if we'd done the same, only two people would have swapped. Sven is the most suspected person, followed by Bert, Uma, Philippe, Anker, Manuel Inela, Jens with a Y, Toon and Germany Jens. Adding in our scores puts Philippe in third and Anker in fourth. Sven, Bert, Philippe, Anker and Jens with a Y are more suspected by us than the group as a whole. Three people, Germany, Jens, Toon and Jens with a Y, had zero first suspicions. Anyone who submitted before I included Jens had their Gretel scores just copied over to Jens's box. And in fact, he didn't have any first or second suspicions. Post-execution, the order's now Sven, Bert, Philippe by Ty, Uma, Anka, Emanuela, Naila, and Jens. Uma, Emanuela, and Naila are less suspected by the two of us in the group as a whole, and seven people, myself included, had Jens and Toon in ninth and 10th place simultaneously for a perfect start to first suspicions. Who do you suspect? Uh, let's see, let's go through my order. Anka's number one, Manuela is number two, but I think she's going to be the one that's really going to be put either really high or really low on my list for the next couple of weeks. I'm still trying to figure out how much she's trolling as a candidate or how much she's truly trolling as the mole. Bert is number three for me right now, but he might drop pretty quickly. Philippe is number four. Uma is number five. Sven is number six. Jens with a Y is seven. And Nela is dead last in my list. Well, I've only got my top three. And they are identical to the ones I did on First Suspicions, actually, which is Sven, then Bert, and then Yen for the Y. Sven and Bert especially were really suspicious in that first challenge together. And I wish they'd been separate, just so I could have been a little bit more confident who was actually sabotaging. Have you got anything else you want to say? No, I think we're good. We podcasted for almost as long as the episode ran for. I am satisfied. Wonderful. (laughs) In that case... Thank you for listening to Ardemol Belkia Season 10 Recap. We'll be back next week to continue the hunt for the nearest mall in the Canary Islands. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram where we are RTB Warriors. I can emails and contact at rtbwarriors.com. Logan's on Twitter at Logsquacky and I'm MJ Halpster. See you next week. Peace out and just chill till the next of flavoring. Trust. Yeah, I'm the ring boy. <laughs>